Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we try to educate you on all things across the National Football League. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. So to continue the theme from the past couple of shows, today we are going to take a look at some year three players who really need to step up, who really need to prove something this year as they work forward in their NFL career. And this is actually a, a fun exercise that we kind of dove into because this is a weird, weird draft class. But uh, we're, so we'll get into those guys, the year three players who, who need to step up, who need to prove it this season. So let me welcome in Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. Uh, no justice today. So it's just me and KP. But we're going to start things out with Deshaun Watson and the story yesterday from the New York Times that came out. Uh, reportedly Watson received messages from at least 66 women over a 17 month period. He also used resources provided by the Texans, including non-disclosure agreements. And I mean, all of this KP is really heinous. If you read the entire story and, and read the entire reports and they're all very similar to the things that we've already heard from the other women that have filed lawsuits. What makes this one unique is that, there's women who are sourced in this article who are not filing lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. They chose not to be a part uh, of that whole of the, of the whole lawsuit, and they but they still wanted to have their voices heard, and they still wanted to make it known like we're choosing not to do this because we don't want the exposure to our family, we don't want our personal information out there, and we don't want all, all of the bright lights that come with being involved in this lawsuit. But we still need people to know that it's not because we're fine with what Deshaun Watson did. He still did awful things and we need people to know about it. And it's we've talked about this story a ton. Obviously, it's the biggest thing across the NFL. I, I, I do believe the NFL has to suspend him for at least the entirety of the upcoming season. But it, it just continues to get grosser and, and harder to feel good about anything that the NFL is doing right now, because it feels like they're just kind of trying to brush this under the rug and hope everybody forgets about it. Yeah. You said it, it's the biggest. I don't know that it is the biggest because the media is not treating it like it's the biggest, like it should be the biggest bar none. Like we shouldn't be talking about anything else, but for whatever reason, it's not like whether you, we talked about a little bit before we got on here, whether it's advertising, whether it's the NFL telling reporters to keep it mum, whether they're acting as if we can't speak about this because not all of the facts are out, but that hasn't stopped us ever from ever talking about anything like that. So um, the, the new people that are coming out, the new women that are coming out, uh, they, 
even the lawyers said that they're they're kind of been bullied in to not press charge or not make a name for themselves. So just imagine how many people are like that, like how many of the unknown. So to go from 22 to 66 to triple it is pretty freaking insane, man. And for so think about that on average over the course of that time frame, that's three and a half women a week, like new women a week. And that's an average. So there's probably more than that. Um for whatever reason, they're still pushback and not just from Browns fans, just from like your casual male. Like I had somebody ask, what if this is all made up? How stupid are you, man? Like how little um, do you have to think of women to think that 66 and it's more than that. Let's be honest. It's probably more than that. And like, do we have to wait until this gets to triple digits to take it seriously? Like what are we waiting on? And I know the NFL is just kind of dragging their feet on this, but it. I mean, it puts everything about the NFL into perspective, honestly, right? Like, we don't value women. Um, we're all about the product. And we're going out of our way to protect people who clearly have no business being protected. It seems very front. Like, it just seems very upfront how this should be handled. And in the most NFL way, they're going about it in the worst possible scenario. Yeah. And I'm a former Browns fan. Like I, I did identify as a Cleveland Browns fan at one point in my life. And I, I'm not necessarily like a diehard fan of any NFL team at, at this point in my career, just because I have to follow all these teams so closely. And I, I wind up just rooting for players more so than organizations. But if you're a Browns fan and you're out here trying to make excuses for Deshaun Watson to clear your conscience somehow for backing him, like, I think you need to evaluate your priorities and your fandom because the stuff that he's being accused of is heinous, like I already mentioned, and absolutely awful. And there's no excuse for any of it. I don't care who you are, how famous you are, how good you are at football. There's no excuse for any of this stuff. And there's no excuse for an NFL organization with the platform and the resources and things that they have to just act like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like th this isn't like some other NFL story. And we go through this every season where there's a lot of bad things that happen across the NFL and the NFL just says, well, we'll suspend him for a couple of games. They'll forget about it. If he returns to the field and he's good for the team, everybody will be fine with it and we'll get past it. This isn't that. And it's not something we're going to stop talking about. And it's not something we're going to just brush to the side, even though there's a lot of national sports organizations right now that are choosing not to cover this story because they just simply don't want to talk about it. And as you already mentioned, it just has to do with them all being in bed with the NFL and choosing not to cover it like it is the biggest story in sports. And it absolutely is, in my opinion. I mean, think about Cleveland. They went out of their way to tell us they did their homework. And clearly that wasn't true. It's just a they clown organization. A, they wanted an adult in the room and they selected this person. Other NFL teams through recruiting parties in the midst of these allegations before we knew that there were more allegations through recruiting parties for Watson to come on. Like everything about this league is it's, it is pretty disgusting and it makes you wonder, man, like how worse, how worse is it really behind closed doors? How many other stories are being covered up? And I imagine that number is infinite. It, it just sucks that we have to talk about this. But the thing is, we do have to talk about it. And to ignore it would essentially be giving them a pass. We don't have to act all high and mighty, but that doesn't mean we have to ignore it. And by ignoring it, it feels like, you know, we're, we're, we're saying we're okay with what's happening. And I, I can promise you that's not the case.
I want to say it was Albert Breer a, a couple of days ago before this story came out, but when the 24th lawsuit was filed, I think it was Albert Breer who put out a report saying that like, you know, the Browns weren't aware of this. And now there's a little bit of unease that well, maybe Watson wasn't being honest as if the 24th lawsuit was where they drew the line, which that tells you all you need to know uh, about the Browns as an organization. And I understand he had several shooters. It's, tells you all you really need to know about the NFL. Like it's, this is all about product. This is all about dollar signs. And if you want to choose to ignore that, just to support your fandom, that's on you. It's just not something that I'm personally willing to do. Um, And in my career and in my, and my football fandom, it's just not something I can do as a person. It's, it's all disgusting. And it was reported uh, this morning as well that uh, the Browns also excused Baker Mayfield for mandatory minicamp because that's a whole different mess that, that they've decided to take upon themselves. They can't get rid of Baker Mayfield. Um, if they cut him, he'll probably sign somewhere else, but they don't want to cut him because it's going to cost him a bunch of money. He's not going to be at mandatory minicamp. That's that's probably expected. Inevitably, if he winds up being on their roster, he's going to have to show up for something. Or, or the Browns, I would have to imagine, aren't going to keep waiving these fines for Baker Mayfield. And uh, last piece of news before we get to our, our year three players who need to step up. It was announced late on Tuesday night that the Denver Broncos and the Walton Penner family entered into a purchase and sale agreement to acquire the Broncos. Winning bid was $4.65 billion. That is more than double what the Panthers sold for just four years ago. And it is the highest recorded sale of any sports franchise in world history, not just the United States, not just the NFL. Yeah, I mean, billion, four billion dollars. That is nuts. I saw somebody on Twitter say that George Lucas, Star Wars director, is somehow linked to this just because I believe his wife is involved in it. That was my biggest takeaway. Like, whoa, Uh, tying it all back in. But I mean, nothing really to add there. Just the fact that about where we're going to go five 10 15 years from now like how much these teams are going to be sold as the dinosaurs get out of here yeah it, it's just a ton of money and honestly i think they should have sold for double what the panthers sold for um if you're right. in the nfl team market and you want to purchase a franchise the broncos are a pretty good franchise to own much more so than the carolina panthers so I don't think that's a shock, but yeah, not a ton there. Uh, that, that sale's been coming for a while. So let's get into these year three players. This is what we really had a lot of fun discussing before we jumped on the podcast, because this was just a, the 2020 draft class is, is what we're talking about. These players are headed into year three of their NFL careers. Uh, some of them have had moments. Some of them have dealt with a lot of injuries. There's a lot of guys on this list, and it's just a weird, weird draft class with a lot of like side storylines of guys who have already flamed out in the NFL. But we begin in the NFC West. I chose to go with Los Angeles Rams running back Cam Akers. Um, I, I think there's a lot of guys in the West that we could have chosen, um, but I decided to go with Cam Akers because – we know the numbers on running back Achilles injuries, and it's generally very tough for running backs, especially early in their careers to come back from those kinds of injuries. Like I, I even think of like a Deontay Foreman who showed a lot of promise really early in his career. And then he suffered that Achilles injury. And it's now we're three years removed from that four years removed from that. And he's just now kind of finding his way back onto a roster with the Titans and getting a role in an offense because it took him so long to get healthy. And then, you know, Cam Akers rushes back from the injury to be available for the Rams playoff run and, and Super Bowl win. 
but he did not look like the same player that he looked like as a rookie. And, and I'm a little bit worried about him because he was just not good when he took over as their starting running back. So I think this is going to be a big year for him if he can stay healthy, if he can prove that he hasn't lost that explosiveness that we saw in him as a rookie, then it, it could mean huge things for him on a really good team moving forward. Yeah, it seemed like Sean McVay wanted him to happen like this past season anyway, when he came back, I think he came back only in like a half a year off of torn Achilles and he just didn't have the same level of explosiveness. Um, He couldn't move, man. And Sean McVay just, you saw in the Super Bowl, we're going to run up the middle. We're going to run up the middle. The Rams were pretty fortunate to get away with that. This is the way that they ran the ball. And you you do have to wonder, was, did Akers look like that because he just came back too soon and he wanted to be a part of the, you know, the magical playoff run, whatever it was. Or is this just going to be who he is moving forward? So hopefully um, we see who Cam Akers was before that. Um, I went with, and you mentioned just this this draft class in general, we could probably pick somebody from every team. And that's how, um, that's how uneventful the 2020 draft class was. So I went with Javon Kinlaw from the 49ers, who really just hasn't lived up to you know what he was supposed to be. And the, the reason that I put him on here is he was replacing DeForest Buckner. So he started 12 games as a rookie, only started four games last year. He's been in and out of the lineup. He has one and a half sacks in two seasons. DeForest Buckner does not. So just that alone tells you um, he just has to be on the build. He has to perform. He showed flashes of being dominant run defender, but you don't take a player to be a dominant run defender in the top 15. Like that's not who he is. My other guy was Darrell Taylor. So the Seahawks from the Seahawks. He actually had six and a half sacks last season on, you know, he was a limited part-time player, but they need more out of him and they need more out of their pass rush in general. We'll see if he can keep that up knowing that he's going to be an every down player in year two. I know he switched positions last year, so maybe that's why he saw a bump. Uh, They have a new defensive coordinator. They should have a couple new pieces on defense, but I mean, whether it's Taylor, whether it's Kinlaw, these pass rushers, in year three, we're going to find out if they can play or not. And if they don't produce this year, I, I think we're just kind of left with this is who they are moving forward. Yeah, I think especially at that position, it's a little bit more like the year three can, can be defining for a lot of positions in the NFL. But at pass rush, it's like you're talking about playing your way into a massive contract in a season if you, if you can hit big a, a couple of years before that or just being a rotational defensive lineman in the NFL, which is obviously not nearly as lucrative. And uh, Darrell Taylor for the Seattle Seahawks, like that pass rush is not good the way that it's set up right now. So he's going to have plenty of opportunity uh, to try to showcase himself in year number three. Moving on to the NFC East. This is another one, uh, division where I felt like I, I could have picked a lot of players. Um, I kind of wanted to pick Jalen Hurts for the Philadelphia Eagles because this season is kind of set up for Jalen Hurts. Like everything that the Eagles have done this offseason um, has been to try to make the roster better, build that thing around him and see what they have in him and decide whether or not they have to move on from him after the season or, or go draft another quarterback or figure out what they actually have in their quarterback. But I think that Jalen Hurts is going to take a step forward this year, and I'm a little bit more confident in him. So I decided to instead select Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Jalen Rieger, who I know Eagles fans are going to hate this, and and me bringing it up, you know, obviously he goes one pick before Justin Jefferson, who 
looks like he is one of the three best wide receivers in football. He is an absolute superstar, absolute stud playmaker for the Minnesota Vikings. And Jalen Rieger has pretty much been the total opposite of that. <laughs> he, is, he is just not a very reliable wide receiver. He's got a huge problem with drops. He has not been consistent at all. And when you look at that draft class and the Eagles – taking Jalen Rieger there. It, it's probably pretty devastating. It's part of what led to them going and getting AJ Brown this off season because they were like, Jalen Rieger's just not it. And so I don't think Jalen Rieger is going to wind up being with the Eagles past his current contract, but he needs to step up in general just to prove that he belongs in the NFL and, and see where he can land after Philadelphia to see if he can keep this thing moving. Because I, I think that he does have some talent. He showcased some ability his consistency has just been absolutely awful so far in his NFL career. So Rieger, he's, he's still 23. Like he just turned 23. He's still very, very young, despite being in the NFL for a couple of seasons. So he was supposed to be this dynamic, explosive, get the ball in his hands and he's going to make plays type of receiver. He had 10 carries last year for 32 yards. He was supposed to be this big play guy. So he can, you know, create on his own. You can throw him a curl. He'd make a guy miss. And that would turn into a big play. On 57 targets last season, he only had two games over 50 yards receiving. That can't happen, man. Not to be – think about the other wide receivers you mentioned. Going in the first round, it was Brandon Ayuk. It was Justin Jefferson. It was CeeDee Lamb. Like, he has company to keep up with, and he just hasn't been there. You mentioned – consistency i think he has been consistent but not in the way that the eagles would like so that's that was my pick as well and i i actually i i'm surprised they didn't move on from him this offseason i thought that that was going to be you know the case i thought another team would come calling for him just because he is so young and he, you know he can run but there just isn't a lot of film out there where like, what are you going to give up for him i'm not giving up like a third round pick for him i'm not giving up probably even a fourth round pick for him so with that in mind I can see even why a team that is desperate for a wide out um, didn't pick him. So that, that was my pick as well. Um, NFC South, where'd you go? Uh, in the South, I decided to go with New Orleans Saints tight end, Adam Troutman. Um, again, I think each division's got several guys we, we could pick here. Um, Adam Troutman's just somebody that kind of intrigues me because we saw him last season get a lot more work than he had gotten his previous season. He just didn't really do anything with it. Like he got a lot more opportunity last season and was getting a healthy amount of targets throughout the year for the saints. We just haven't really seen him take a step and, and you know, tight ends are one of those positions where we say by year three, you know, you, you know what you have in that guy, whether he's just going to be like an inline blocking tight end, or if this guy can be a legitimate passing game threat. And New Orleans is in a weird position right now where they go get Chris Olave. They've got Michael Thomas coming back. Alvin Kamara, if he's healthy, is obviously still a really dynamic player. But they need another guy because their wide receivers were just awful last season. And Chris Olave is going to take some time to develop as a rookie. So Adam Troutman, I think, is going to have a big opportunity this year to improve and prove that he can be a playmaking tight end at the NFL level. We just haven't really seen him do that quite yet. For me, and I mean, he's buried on the depth chart, but that doesn't mean they get a pass. So Tampa Bay drafted a running back in the third round of the 2020 draft, Keyshawn Vaughn. He's 214 pounds. He's supposed to be there every down back. And they went out and get Leonard Fournette. And then after that, the next offseason, they go get Gio Bernard. 
And now this offseason, they drafted running back in the third round, Rashad White. That tells you what they think of Vaughn. I don't know if he's going to have enough opportunities, but the fact that they took him 76 overall, so essentially telling us they view him as a starter because that's when you're taking starting running backs in today's NFL. He's just a flop, man. And, you know, it, it seems like at this point it, it would take like an injury or just for him to really flip the switch. But I, I just put him on here just to remind people that Tampa Bay did whiff. And, I mean, Trisha Wirfs, all pro. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr., such a good talent at free safety. But their third pick was a whiff. And it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to um, even have an opportunity to make noise. Yeah, I remember the bill on Keyshawn Vaughn coming out of college was like, he can be a really dynamic pass catching running back. Like he's got an opportunity to be possibly the best receiving back in this draft class. And you look at his stats, his first two year in the NFL, and it's, you know, a handful of carries had as a rookie five catches for 34 yards and in his sophomore season, four catches for 26 yards. So the, the thing that he was supposed to be the best at, he has had no impact at all for the Bucs, basically. So I like yeah. Tyler Johnson in that draft, too. Like, I thought he was going to be able to make plays for them, and he really hasn't, you know, made the most of his opportunities either. Yeah. It's <laughs> Tyler Johnson is for fantasy, and I know we don't talk about fantasy much on this podcast, but there were several times last season where, you know, Chris Godwin's hurt, and Tyler Johnson gets this opportunity to step up and make plays, and it was like, you could watch it unfold in a game where Tyler Johnson like runs the wrong route or something or drops an easy pass from Brady <laughs> yeah. and Brady was like, you're done. I'm not looking at you the rest of the day. And it feels like that's just been his career. Like they, they just can't seem to get any consistency out of him, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if Keyshawn Vaughn and Tyler Johnson can step up this season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but moving on to the NFC North. So when I was looking up players and deciding who I wanted to pick uh, for this list, I didn't even have to get on my computer to know in the NFC North that I was going to pick Lions cornerback Jeff Okuda. <laughs> like I already knew off the top of my head, it's got to be Jeff Okuda. We're talking about a guy who was a top five pick in the NFL draft, like consensus number one cornerback, and has just dealt with injuries so far in his NFL career. Had, had an injury as a rookie that kind of slowed his development and limited his play. And then when he did play for the lions, he was just not very good. I am willing to bet that that had more to do with his health um, than his talent. And then last season week one against the 49ers suffers an Achilles injury out for the season. And so it, it's just been a brutal start to his NFL career for Jeff Okuda, but the talent was always there. And now the Lions are actually moving in the right direction. Uh, I, I'm I'm fully aboard the Dan Campbell train in Detroit right now and probably talking myself into being way too high on the Detroit Lions. But I would just, for like a good feel-good feel comeback story, like I would just love for Jeff Okuda to come out this season and, and just be a playmaker for them and finally stay healthy and prove that he belongs as their number one cornerback in Detroit. Yeah, I think you wonder, after two years of injuries – does he still have the same athleticism? Because he was like an uber athlete. He was a special athlete. And when you're taken that high, I think it was number three overall, you have to be a special athlete and you have to be able to produce. And he hasn't been on the field to do so. And I, I think you're right where they have the right pieces coming in. They have the coach. They have somebody to believe in. And Okuda is just a vital chess piece for them, or sorry, a vital piece in place for them in the secondary, or just on defense and the team in general, where – this is it right here, right? We have to see, 
can he play double digit games, which hasn't happened in the first two years? And if he does, I think we will see uh, the player who they who they hope they selected um, out of Ohio State. My guy is Cole Komet. So Justin Fields, <laughs> who obviously we've covered the Bears' head. If there is you know any sort of weapon that that Chicago has, it would be Cole Komet. So he was taken in the second round, and he was taken early in the second round, the top half of the second round. Again, 6'6", giant, large human being. is only 23, just turned 23. He had 612 yards last season, receiving yards. But, um, okay, it was the Bears. Did any of those yards actually matter? You would think this is going to be Fields' go-to guy, so he has an opportunity to break out, but I don't know. And with that said – year three has to be it, right? Just because Chicago essentially doesn't have any other weapons. Do you, are, were you, are you a fan of Cole? Like, do you think he's going to do anything this year? I am a fan of him. And I, he had 93 targets last season. Um, but it, it just didn't really amount to much production. And, and part of that was the Bears coaching staff just mm-hmm. I- insisting on being like, no, we're going to make this as difficult as possible for Justin Fields for whatever reason. And their offense is probably just going to be so bad this season. And, but like you said, they don't have anybody to throw the football to. So you got to imagine that he's going to be a significant part of their offense at the very least. Like I'm willing to bet that Cole commit gets more than 93 targets this season. And that's what he got last season, which is high. That's that, that's a lot of targets for a tight end in any offense. And so I would have to imagine his production can, improve and that he can step up as a player or at least I want to believe just because I really want to believe that Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback and that he can develop into that kind of guy if he's just giving given an opportunity but everything the Chicago Bears have done this offseason just makes me not believe in it at least not this season it's it's impossible to feel confident in the Bears offense at least does Cole Komet lead the Bears in receiving yards this year I, I don't think that'd be crazy uh, I don't think that'd be crazy at all. Um, you know, I know everybody expects big things from Darnell Mooney, and right. I think that Darnell Mooney can, is a, a good wide receiver and could be a playmaker for the Bears, but everybody knows that. Everybody knows Darnell Mooney is the only guy we got to pay attention to. Like, Byron Pringle can make a play for you here and there. Oh, Byron Pringle is it going to – Byron Pringle is – most NFL teams fifth or sixth wide receiver, not right. their number two wide receiver. And that's, that's what Byron Pringle is. So it's, I, I wouldn't be shocked because yeah, I, their offensive line is going to be bad again. Uh, Justin Fields is going to have to get rid of the ball. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of underneath stuff for Cole Komet. So yeah, I, Good I, luck, I Justin, yeah, Good luck. would not be shocked if he winds up leading them at receiving yards at all. But let's take a quick timeout right here. And when we get back, we will dive into our year three players in the AFC that need to step up. It's coming up next on NFL University. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. 
That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined as always by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. Just went through the year three players who need to step up in the NFC, moving on to the AFC. And we begin with the AFC West. There's a few guys in this division that I like headed into year three, but we still have huge question marks about what they can be like truly long-term as NFL players and playmakers for their teams. But I decided to go with Denver Broncos wide receiver, Jerry Judy, um, I've been a big Jerry Judy believer um, since he came into the NFL. I, I really thought that his ability to to run routes and, and create separation, like I, I thought that that was going to translate right away in the NFL. And I think we saw glimpses of that as a rookie where he was just making some DBs kind of look foolish with his route running. But his quarterback situation has just been so bad that it hasn't translated to consistent on-field production. And then last season – had I think uh, week one or week two, he he suffers a high ankle sprain after getting a ton of targets and looking like he was ready to take a step. Winds up missing uh, almost half the year or more than half the year with that high ankle sprain. Comes back, kind of looked a little slow, like, like it was still bothering him, like he there was still lingering effects from that injury, and, and so maybe uh, maybe that affected his play down the stretch. Now, right now in uh, Denver Broncos OTAs, he suffered some kind of groin injury. Hopefully that's not a long-term thing and he gets healthy. With Russell Wilson, with the weapons and the way that the Denver Broncos have improved this season, I still have a lot of faith in Jerry Judy. I just want to see him succeed and I want them to find a way to utilize his talent. And you know, Russell Wilson maybe isn't the best quarterback for that, but he's certainly better than anything that they've had before him. So I, I would have to imagine that Jerry G is going to have an opportunity to step up this year. Yeah. Will he be there? Like, will he be on the field while the Broncos are playing? You mentioned all the injuries. You mentioned the injury in June. Why are we to assume that that's just going to stop all of a sudden once the season starts? And that's the scary part. I, I have questions about Judy, man. I'm not sure that like injury aside, I just don't know that his style of play matches up with Russ. The guy that I put on here is his teammate, KJ Hamler, who actually, I mean, he has size questions too. He has size issues, but that are different than Judy. I actually think he has a better chance of breaking out, but again, he has to stay healthy too, because I I believe Hamler missed what all of last year, didn't he? I know know he he only played, he didn't play more than a few games. He played three games and it was the first three games and that was it. So, we're talking about Russell Wilson, Mr. Moonball himself, Mr. Air it out, one, two, three, air it out. That, to me, favors Hamlin. And I know he's small in stature, but he's a speedy guy, and he does do those jump balls, and he does win those downfield routes. So if we're talking about these third-year wide receivers for the Broncos, I listed Hamlin. I actually think Hamlin is going to have a better season than Judy, which sounds you know a little hot takey. How do you feel about that? Um. I mean, I agree with you. Like, I am skeptical about how Judy fits with Russ and, and the way that he wants to play, like, you know, extending plays to to take those deep balls. And KJ Hamler is that dude if he is healthy. Like, he can fly. I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of the Broncos' offense is just going to depend on these guys that were, like, 
well, they've got talent. With the quarterback play is what's been holding them back, and it's like, is it necessarily the quarterback play that's been holding them back? Like, is that is that the whole thing here? Right. And I'm not sold on that because one thing I do like, I, I believe that Cortland Sutton is a stud. Like, if he stays healthy, Agreed. he is a stud wide receiver. He can make plays downfield. He that's he's their big. one. Yeah, like he he is a hundred percent their number one wide receiver, and I think that Tim Patrick is a nice wide receiver. He can make plays for them, move the chains and stuff like that. It's the question marks are Judy and Hamler, and really, I think it is a toss up. Like, who could wind up being that that consistent number two option, that number two wide receiver, number three wide receiver? If you want to argue that Tim Patrick is the number two guy, um, would you say that Patrick's their wide receiver too? I would say so. Like based on last year's production, yeah. Right. Um, they want Judy to be that. I would have to imagine. Um, I want Judy to be that. Um, but yeah, I, I would say probably right now it is Tim Patrick because um, I'm still just worried about him. And yeah, the groin injury in June is, is not great. Um, but I hope Jerry Judy winds up staying healthy and hopefully we see big things out of him. Before we move on from the AFC West, I also wanted to mention Clyde Edwards-Alaire was another player that I seriously considered here. Um, listen. I, I think it is indisputable now, and you know we're we're not getting into a you should never take running backs high debate. I think it is indisputable that Clyde should not have been a first round pick, even though it was at you know very last pick of the first round. I, I do not think that Clyde should have been a first round running back. When you look at Jonathan Taylor was on the board, DeAndre Swift was on the board, J.K. Dobbins was on the board. Those are all guys that I liked more than Clyde in that NFL draft. And Clyde right now, when he's been healthy for the Kansas City Chiefs, has been productive. He hasn't been a superstar player or anything like that, but he's had some nice games in his NFL career. He's just struggled to stay healthy, and he's had injuries in both of his NFL seasons so far. So if he stays healthy, I think that the production is going to be there for Clyde, while also acknowledging that I have not at all in his NFL career so far seen like the explosiveness that you need from a running back to be like, a tier one running back in the league. Like Clyde's just not that guy, but I think he can give you consistent production. If he can just find a way to stay on the field for the chiefs. I think if he's going to make his mark in the league and he's going to really live up to that first round billing, it's going to have to come through the air. Like he's going to have to be that receiving back which is what he was at LSU because on the ground, he's just kind of blah. Like he's averaging fewer than four and a half yards per carry in two seasons. And when you're watching him, like you're waiting for him to break a tackle. <laughs> like he he does get plenty of one-on-one opportunities and maybe it's not the type of, you know, wide open one-on-one in, in the open field, but in a phone booth, like he has opportunities to make guys miss or just, you know, avoid tackles and it just doesn't happen, man. I know that has to be maddening for Chiefs fans, but I think, and it, it's, it's probably not fair to close the book, but all players are different. And I think at this point, CEH is, it, he is who he is at this point. He is his production so far in his NFL career has been like David Montgomery, but he doesn't catch passes and David Montgomery still catches passes. Like it's not great. Yeah. They're not, not, uh, they're not, they're never going to break away from you. They're never going to have these huge yardage totals, but they're volume guys and they can wind up putting up decent stat lines when you get to the end of a football game. But for some reason, the chiefs have just chosen not to use Clyde in that pass catcher role. And, We'll see as their offense changes things up and, and kind of tries to find a new rhythm with all the new guys that they have this season if that changes. I, I hope it does because I still think that Clyde can be a successful NFL player. I just don't think that he's a superstar running back or anything like that. But moving on to the AFC East, 
I selected New York Jets tackle Makai Becton, and this is another one where obviously he's coming off of a major injury that caused him to miss the vast majority of last season. And as a rookie, he did show plenty of promise that he could be um, a, a serious NFL tackle. But then you get the reports this offseason that he's still working his way back from injury. And there's some kind of weird stuff with the team about whether he was communicating with them or not about his health. And then he was supposedly came in weighing over 400 pounds as he's still trying to get healthy, which is concerning uh, for a guy that you want Slightly. to be <laughs> the, the starting left tackle for your offensive line. And this is a guy that they invested highly in. Um, I, I think that the promise is still there. Like he's still like one of those kind of physical freak type of tackles. If if he gets in shape and gets healthy and can stay healthy, it's just a matter of the guy that showed the promise in his rookie season. Like, is he still there? Is, is that guy still there? Is he still that kind of player? And we'll find out because the jets have a lot invested in him. Probably a good sign that they wait until the fourth round to take a tackle that they do believe that Beckman's going to be on the right track. But I agree that, I mean, first of all, he hasn't played. He played one game last year. So um, by by being on the field alone would be an improvement. Um, My guy was Bill's former Iowa Hawkeye, A.J. Epineza. So this guy was supposed to be – he was a five-star recruit. He was big time. And so he's second-round pick. He he never really uh, turned the corner his final season. But – in two years with the Bills, like who we believe is the best team in the NFL, he has what um, two and a half sacks? Yeah, two and a half sacks in two years. Um, seven tackles for loss in two years. He just hasn't done much of anything, and he's on a team where they're going to be playing with the lead a ton. They he's going to have plenty of opportunities, plenty of chances to get after the quarterback. And let's be honest, like some of the, the teams that they're going to play, some of the, the quarterbacks that they're going to play, they hold on to the ball. They're going to make mistakes. So maybe that's just not his game. I know he has a couple other guys in front of him, but he's an edge rusher and the bills did take other edge rushers in front of him. So maybe they're telling us how they really feel about him, but second rounder you have to produce and AJ Epineza, he has not. So you have to step it up in year three. You are on notice. Well, and I think, you know, for the entire Bills defensive line, like I, I think it works in his favor that they brought in Von Miller because Von Miller is going to be a starter. Gregory Russo is going to be a starter, but their depth along the defensive line is going to give him an opportunity to just be like, Hey man, just go in there, situational pass rush and wreak havoc. Like right. just go in there. you got fresh legs. You're not as tired from, from playing all these snaps, like go in there and just wreak havoc and try to get after the quarterback. And I think for, Players that haven't really developed the way that you want them to. I, I think that's that's a good situation to be in. Like just load up on sacks and, and it'll get you paid by somebody at some point. So I think that's actually a really good opportunity for him this season, even if he winds up not being a starter. Yeah, man. I mean, again, the scoreboard should allow him plenty of opportunities to take down uh, opposing quarterbacks, assuming that the Bills just get out to leads. So if with that said, with with the ability to play next to Vaughn Miller, if you can't produce this year, then probably not going to produce, man. Honorable mention in the AFC East to a tongue of Iloa. We're not getting into it to today, to a non, but to a belongs on this list. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, moving on to the AFC South, 
I chose Jaguars wide receiver LaVisca Chenault. Um, I just, uh, he's been a really tough player for me to evaluate because when he was drafted, I was like, well, he's, he's a physical guy. Like he's a strong wide receiver. And so it seems like there's, you know, situations where he could really thrive in the right, in the right circumstance in the NFL, but he's not necessarily explosive. Like he, he's kind of a, he's not a huge size wide receiver, but he's just thick and strong. And it just has not translated at all in his first two years. And now year two development was totally just out the window with urban Meyer and everything that was happening there in Jacksonville. I just, I'm a believer in LaVisca. Like if you can find the right way to use him, I think he can have a role in an NFL offense. And I would really like to see the Jaguars try to figure out a way like, Hey man, this guy's headed into year number three. He's not lived up to the building in any way in his first two years in the NFL. We got to find out if we have something in him. And I know they went out and overpaid a lot of mediocre wide receivers, but that works in his favor. If they can wind up turning him into a playmaker, that's a good thing for Trevor Lawrence. It's a good thing for the Jags organization. And it's a good thing for LaVisca Chanel. I just, I just want to see him utilized because I feel like so far in his NFL career, he has not been utilized much in an NFL offense. Yeah, I should not listen to. And maybe they just need to swap him and Travis Etienne positions and they'd both be better off. So he has 29 carries and he's averaging over four and a half yards per carry. I don't know that he has the explosiveness to win on the outside. It seems like teams just don't fear him like to threat run like as a vertical threat just to run by him, which – I mean, it's tough to win in the NFL when nobody, you know, when you can't run. He has 600 yard receiving in two years. He has Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball. Yes, Urban Meyer. Like we can kind of throw out last year out of the way, but like, what do they want to get out of him? Like, what is the best version of Chenault for the Jaguars offense? I think that's what they need to answer. That's what they need to figure out this offseason. And if it's just throwing like quick uh, five yard routes, and so be it, man. Give him a hundred targets and let him just eat up, just move the chains, be an underneath kind of guy. But when you take him early, like you have to find a way to utilize him and they just have not done that yet. So I don't know, man, it's uh something's off with him. Something's off with the Jags. So it's not really a surprise, but they have to get more out of him. That's for sure. I feel like he could thrive in like the Cordero Patterson kind of role. He's not as explosive as Cordero Patterson is, but like, I mean, at 30, I think Cordero Patterson's 31 years old. So maybe he is closer to that level of explosiveness <laughs> at this point in his career. But I, I feel like that could be a suitable role for LaVisca Chanel. I, I just think that with Doug Peterson, uh, I, I'm hoping that he can just find some creative ways to try to get him some opportunities and see what the Jaguars actually have in him this season. But moving on to the AFC North, there's a couple of guys I like in this division. Uh, I, I'm going to start off at least with pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver chase claypool now as a rookie claypool and he wasn't playing uh you know as many snaps as other pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers as a rookie which kind of tends to be the case with pittsburgh like they're that they're so good at drafting and developing wide receivers they tend to bring their young guys along a little bit slower but he did wind up having nine touchdowns as a rookie 873 yards and so the ceiling for him headed into year number two was pretty high probably higher than it should have been and I don't think that I saw him take any steps in year two to like actually being like, you know, a legitimate like superstar wide receiver. I think a lot of people would still say that Deontay Johnson is 
the better wide receiver of the two on the team. But Chase Claypool's got the physical attributes more so than Johnson to like be a legitimate number one wide receiver in the NFL. There's been some maturity concerns and problems there. So I don't know if it's that. I, I don't know if it's Ben Roethlisberger. That probably has a lot to do with it. But I would just like to see Chase Claypool take a big step this season because I think that he's shown he can be a, a legitimate playmaker if he can just be more consistent and continue to develop as a true NFL wide receiver. Not signaling for first downs when you're down and the clock is running yes. out would help. Um, being more aware of your surroundings. The talent is insane. Like the talent, there's nobody would argue with that. Um, just what he brings to the table. I mean, again, just like with the rest of the divisions, you can make an argument for a few different players here. So for me, I like the idea of um, what can the Browns get out of Grant Delpit? And it just seems like it seems he is a guy who can really take a next step. Like he was, he missed a year because of injury and last year was essentially his rookie season. And he started seven games for them, moved around a little bit. I think this year, like his second year removed from injury will be the best version of him. Again, just being on the field alone will help. The Browns will have a good pass rush. They're going to have speed all around on defense he just needs to be on the field, and I imagine he will be around the ball. I liked him coming out of LSU. I thought he was better than a lot of people give credit for. Like his missed tackles, sure, there, there's some that he had to work on. But um, he, he just seems like a good, smart, heady football player, and that's what you need in the secondary. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him in year three, I guess year two for him, seeing what he brings to the table. Yeah, quarterback controversy aside, just looking at the Browns' defense, like – their defense should be good. And if he can stay healthy, they've got a chance to have a really, really good secondary this season on top of, you know, having Miles Garrett up front, just wreaking havoc on quarterbacks. Like the Browns defense should be good this season. And they had a lot of injuries last year too. So I really like that pick. I also chose Baltimore Ravens running back JK Dobbins. And I just wanted to throw this in there before we get out of here, because Dobbins obviously coming off the major injury that caused him to miss the entire season last year. And we saw that Ravens backfield fall apart before we even got through the preseason. And I just think that JK Dobbins has so much talent and we haven't even seen what he can really bring to the NFL just yet. Like we saw small glimpses of it as a rookie, but Baltimore was insisting on, and they're still going to use multiple running backs, but they were insisting on giving Mark Ingram just way too much run when Mark Ingram was clearly just didn't have much left in the tank. And, and so Dobbins just didn't get on the field as much as I thought he should have as a rookie. So I was really excited to see what he could do in that Baltimore running game last season and then the injury. And so we still haven't seen it. But as I mentioned, I, I love J.K. Dobbins in that draft class. I would have taken Dobbins over Clyde Edwards-Alaire personally. And this is a draft class with DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor, both really talented running backs too. And I think Dobbins has like that legitimate level of upside, in my opinion, like JK Dobbins can be that good, maybe not as good as Jonathan Taylor, but I think he's got serious like RB one upside if he's healthy this year. Yeah. I don't think he has to be like um, Jonathan Taylor. He has so much speed that he can get to the outside. Obviously you have Lamar Jackson. So defense are always going to be clued in on him. They have space. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how Baltimore even plays this year. They might roll out with like three tight ends every play or every possession, and that's just how their offense runs. 
But I like Dobbins as a rookie. He averaged over six yards a carry. He was even better. Like, essentially, the wider he ran outside, the more successful he was. And I don't think that's going to change. It just seems to be his style. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him a year removed from the injury. Hopefully he still has that long speed because the Ravens could use him, man. Like, he he was very productive for them. And, I mean, the way that they run, the, the lack of pass catchers on the outside, it might even put more play put more on Dobbins plate. Yeah. I, I really hope he is healthy this season. Cause like I mentioned, I, I feel like we haven't even seen uh, what the ceiling could really be for him. If he is healthy for uh, a full calendar year in the NFL, I, I think he's just got that much upside for the Baltimore Ravens. but those are our year three players that we're keeping close tabs on uh, as they look to try to step up this season and, and prove that they belong in the nfl we appreciate you guys listening to this edition of nfl university please make sure you subscribe rate and review everything that we're doing on apple and spotify you follow kp on twitter at kp underscore show i'm steven serta that's where you can find me we'll talk to you guys next week